I spent his recovery writing my first novel, telling myself it was a one and done. The part of me I'd shoved away for so many years spoke up and said, I'm not going away now. This is who you are. Embrace it. That's a quote from today's Your Shining Self podcast guest. Be sure to listen in to get the full story as we chat about mental health and living your best life. Her story takes a journey from a young age all the way into adulthood where she is now. Also, to get the show notes, head on over to shiningself.com forward slash 52. You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. She's an award-winning novelist with eight published books, five short stories, and an upcoming Christmas anthology. Today's guest is Joanne Keeter. You'll find her on the web at joannekeeter.com. That's J-O-A-N-N-K-E-D-E-R.com. You'll find that link as well as links to her social media accounts over in the show notes at shiningself.com forward slash 52. Hey there, listeners. Today, I'm so excited to have Joanne Keeter with me. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to be here. I appreciate that. (laughs) So you guys, today, we are going to talk about something important, mental health and living your best life. So Joanne, I just want to jump right in. And, you know, we were chatting before we started the recording and you said that um, you've been a writer since you were the age of 10 and you wrote your first novel at 12. I just have to say that is so freaking phenomenal. Like, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> I was not doing something like that back at that age. <laughs> but well, and, oh, sorry, and it was ahead. also on a typewriter. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I love typewriters, though. They were fun. Yeah. Fun, fun until you were trying to tell you were trying to actually write a story and you didn't have any typing skills. <laughs> so, you know, two, two or three fingers at a time. The hunt and pack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I think that's phenomenal. At the age of 12, you wrote your first novel. But even having done that, you said that you've co- you co- had convinced yourself that you weren't good enough, smart enough, etc., Now, you also mentioned that you were adopted. So do you think that being adopted played into all of that, you know, convincing yourself that you weren't good enough, smart enough, et cetera? In my particular situation, yes, I'm not saying this as a blanket statement, just in the the family that I was raised in, I was the middle child and the, the oldest and the youngest were their biological children. And I was just always the odd girl out. And, um, I have certainly have speculated as to why that was. And, um, I, I don't, I have my, I have my suspicions, but I guess in the end right now, that doesn't matter. It's, it's dealing with the aftermath and just trying, just, um, just knowing that I grew up feeling out of place and, and actually being a writer at that age made me feel out of place because nobody else was doing that. And I, I knew that it, it just, I really desperately wanted to fit in, but I just didn't. And, and writing this book, uh, everybody said, oh, great. But I was sort of an oddity and that sort of contributed to, oh, you know, you're just not, you're just not good enough. And, and this isn't, this isn't, this isn't right for you. You don't, 
this isn't your expertise. And I wanted to get it published and I, I didn't know how to go about that. But no, I was just a kid. I had no parental support. And that that also fed back to me, oh, you're just not good enough. You just, if you were good enough, then this, then this would be published. So I went through many years and finally at the age of um, 35, and also I had that same mentality in my head, well, you're, you're not smart enough to get your college degree. So just go, go along in life as you are. And I finally decided at age 35, okay, I'm going to get my, get my bachelor's degree, or at least I'm going to try one class. And if I can't pass that one class, then that proves that I'm, I'm just not smart enough, good enough. And I loved the class and I continued on. I graduated um, <clears throat> summa cum laude. And then I went on and got my master's degree in creative writing. And I wrote a book that it, actually it was just a novella. And that was picked up by a publisher. And still, I said to myself, you know what? That, that was just a fluke. You're not, you're just not good enough. And I've dealt with depression my whole life to some degree, but we moved uh, from Nebraska to the Pacific Northwest. And I had all these great ideas that I was going to find a job right away and, and find friends and nothing, none of that happened. And I ended up breaking my ankle really severely and was almost housebound for a year. And I fell into this horrid, horrid depression. And there were times when I just sat in the closet. I just didn't want to leave. And I don't know what you know about the Pacific Northwest, but this time of year, we don't get a lot of sun. And I, I, I said to live my, in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And, and I said to myself, well, <clears throat> I'll go outside and I will do things when it's sunny, when it's done, when there's, there's no, there's no rain. Well, of course that doesn't happen. So I just continue to uh, just get worse. And my husband was out hiking one day and um, had a massive heart attack and <clears throat> had to be airlifted into the hospital. And <clears throat> they, he, his heart stopped six times. And they put him on, you know, they, they put him on machine to breathe for him. And they said, I, we don't know if he's going to have brain function when he comes out of this or not. And I'm sitting beside his bed and watching those, those machines keep him alive. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a writer now, then when am I going to do that? Cause looking at him, I realized we don't know how long life is life is life can be very short. And so that was when I determined, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to start writing. I'm just one book, just one book. We'll see. We'll see if you, if I fail. And after that, I'll know that I've done what, it, what I, my lifelong ambition was. And <clears throat> I wrote that one book. And then this little voice in me said, no, that's not enough. And, and you are a writer. You have to embrace that now. If, if you're waiting for the right time, it's never going to be the right time. And that really started me on, on this road to recovery. And, and I, I've done some um, counseling. Some, some of the counselors are better than others. There was one, I felt like I was her counselor and finally got to the point of just mm, a year or two ago where I found a good counselor. I found some medication that's helping me. And I'm, I'm finally in a, in a good place with my mental health. And I'm, and I've embraced the fact that I am a writer. That's awesome. And there was a whole lot of information and all that. So I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit. So one of the things that was popping up for me, Joanne, when you were talking about, you know, being adopted and not feeling like you fit in, like, I, I can't put myself in your shoes because I was not adopted, but I kept thinking, gosh, I couldn't imagine. I don't know that awkward is the right word, but 
I couldn't imagine like being adopted because even not being adopted, there was a whole lot of time in my life that I did not feel like I fit in like with my own family. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking, I mean, I can't, I just can't even fathom like what it would be to like be adopted and have to, I don't know that I want to say like try to fit in, but kind of essentially you are trying to fit in with that family. Absolutely. And, and I did try for a number of years and, and, you know, I just came to the conclusion that you can't change people. People have their, you know, their ceiling, this is their limit. This is what they can be. And you can't change that for them. If they want to change that they can, but my parents, especially my mother, just not capable of caring for a child that wasn't hers biologically. And I just came to that realization and just made my peace with it. Now that doesn't mean that's not that other people who aren't adopted don't have that experience because this is just my path. This is my experience, but um, it was just so difficult. And then, you know, I'm going through this time trying to fit in and I'm just not fitting in. And then when I was 16, my, my brother was murdered, my older brother, and it was, it made national news and, once again, everybody is staring at me for the wrong reason. And nobody would talk to me because at that time, murder was not a big thing, especially because I grew up in a small town. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that you, that happened, you know, where they lived, where we lived. And so it was made us kind of an oddity and I was already an oddity and, and people would just not speak to me. So I went through this happened when I was 16 and I went through my last two years of high school without any friends. So, um, it's just, I guess some people call it character building. I will call it, um, shaping definitely shaped who I am today. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I was thinking of too, Joanne, is it's sometimes I, again, I can obviously only speak for myself, but sometimes I will get so caught up in the why of something like say, for example, something that happened in my childhood. And I will just like continually be focusing on the why. And you said something that um, reminded me of something that one of my really good friends always tells me. Um, But, you know, you said you just came to the conclusion of how your, you know, adopted mom was and you just let it go because Mm -hmm. sometimes we can obsess over the why of something when in reality, does the why even really matter? No, that would not, that would not affect the outcome at all. I, you know, my struggles in life are are my struggles and I can't put that on her and say, you've got to fix this because she can't, even if she wanted to, and she doesn't, um, you know, there, there are people who have said to me, well, if you confronted her and no, it's not going to make any, she wouldn't admit to anything and it wouldn't make any difference. It would not. I, I, in the moment, maybe I'd think, okay, well, finally I have some, um, confirmation, but no, I would still be dealing with my, with the same demons that I have. And I would still be on the same path of, of mental health uh, care. Okay. So let's, I want to go back to when you, you had a publisher that was interested in your thesis back in college mm-hmm. and, you know, like looking back on it now, can you see, um, I'm not even sure how I'm trying to frame that question. So, you know, back then, even when you have this publisher interested in your thesis, you're still like, eh, whatever, I'm, you know, not that good. And I'm not, you know, blah, 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 worth, you know, anything smart enough, etc. Like looking back on that now, do you think if you were in a different like mental place back then, do you think that your writing career would have took off many years sooner than it has? Yes, I absolutely. <coughs> 
excuse me. I do. However, I also am a firm believer in things happen organically when they're supposed to. So I, I don't know that I was had the maturity to deal with um, the, the marketing aspect because also marketing is a lot about putting yourself out there and, and not necessarily having self-confidence, but being, being secure in who you are and saying, okay, this is business and that's not me. And whatever is happening in the business is the business and I'm still who I am separate from that. So that would have to, um, that, that just came with maturity and age. And quite frankly, um, I didn't reach my full adult being until we moved 2000 miles away from our home because we had lived our entire lives in, in the Midwest. And, and once we moved away, I really do feel I finally had that, that final piece of growing up. So I feel like I'm similar to you in the, in the fact that you, you know, had to move like 2000 miles away to kind of come into like your own person because similar situation for me, I lived my entire life up until three years ago in a very small town in Northern Michigan. And I don't want to say that like Northern Michigan is bad because that's where, you know, like my son and my family and my friends and everybody are, that's where I got sober from alcohol. So like my recovery community and everything was there. But there was also kind of like this mentality that you stayed in northern Michigan, you got a job, you know, you didn't really like leave and just this, I don't even know like what I'm trying to explain. But so I I was always feeling like I know there's so much more to life. Like I was always the one that I loved to travel and, um, you know, just like not do the norm that everybody around me was doing. And finally, I ended up coming out here to the Pacific Northwest to Oregon with my sister um, back in 2017. And long story short, I ended up meeting a gentleman who lived in just over the bridge from Oregon in Vancouver, Washington. And we dated long distance for a year. And then I ended up moving out here just being like, you know, for the first time in my life, I am following my heart. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not, you know, listening to those around me. And it literally like changed my life. It's so funny because, um, like a bunch of my recovery friends, like so many doors have been opened for me since moving out here. I got into plus size modeling. Um, just like, I literally have like, just one of my recovery friends from back in Michigan, she was like, I just feel like I have watched this flower bloom. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And they were like, if we would have known like how you would just bloom and like just grow where, you know, you are now, we would have kicked you out of Michigan years ago. (laughs) And I just, I love, you know, that you, you shared that too, because sometimes I think it does take us. And of course, I'm not telling everybody, oh my gosh, pack your bags and go move, you know, 2000 miles away from where you are now. But sometimes I do believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason, like you mentioned, Joanne, and things happen when they're meant to happen. But I just love that we kind of have that similar story. We're both, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. How cool is that? Right, right. I also want to emphasize that, you know, we we came out here and I had these expectations that that was going to be my my life path, like you had where you came and you were just instantly transformed. And for me, that just isn't how it worked. I, you know, I came out here and things really took a nosedive. And I think that um, the lesson from that is 
because I've had some, some days where I was, I had some very significant suicidal thoughts. And I think the lesson from that is just to say, you never know what's around the corner. It might be a long corner. It took, it was years. It took several years because we've lived here now 11 years. And it's just in the, the last two or three that things have really turned around, but it, you just never know. So I, I also found my, my birth father's family and they've been fantastic things that never would have happened had I just said, you know what, I'm going to end it today. Right. And I, I'm glad that you brought that point up too, Joanne, because yeah, sometimes, especially in, you know, the day and age of social media, you look at social media and it's easy to compare yourself to everybody else's life. But, you know, even for myself, sometimes I still only share on social media, like the great parts of my life, but I too also suffer from bouts of depression. And like you mentioned, um, the Pacific Northwest, there's a very long period of time that we get nothing but rain in very dark gray days. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've had to address since moving out here, because um, I think that I have, I suffer from, I think it's um, seasonal is it sad seasonal something yeah um because I do notice that this time of year when it's starting to get rainier and gray I really this is when I start like going into my kind of I don't know depressive like shell or mode or something so um I actually have one of those happy happy lights (laughs) because I I need that sunshine (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, and that's so amazing that you found your, um, your father's, uh, your dad's, your birth dad's, um, family and they've been great. Like, that's amazing. Yes, it has. So I, I found my, my birth mother when I was 23 and she has been such a, an integral part of my life. She, she is my, I I call her my adult mother because she has mothered me through my adult years. And I don't know what I would have done without her. She's such a blessing. Um, and it took me all this time to find my father because he never told her his real name. And, and so that was a very lengthy process to find him. But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, and I try to take, I try to take lessons from everything. And the lesson from that was that I asked several people, uh, because he was long deceased, I asked several people what um, can you tell me one good thing about him? Just, just one, one good memory that you have. And they had none, none of the people that he spent his time, his life with had one good thing to say about him. And quite a lot of these people are, are kind of stuck or having their issues now. And I think that you, you know, think about what you give to others. If, if you leave them better than you found them, that's, that's such a great accomplishment. And he did the opposite. And now generations down, even his great, great grandchildren are, are suffering. And I truly believe it, it goes back to him because he, he, you know, had his clouds that he, over his head, that he passed along to his children. They passed along to their children. Um, so that was my lesson from that. I love that you say that you like to find lessons and everything. Cause I think that can be really important of shaping, you know, who we are and part of our journeys. Um, so Joanne, I want to, I know we've kind of jumped around a lot, but I 
you know, I had so many things bubbling up in my head when you're chatting. So, um, I wanted to kind of jump around a lot. Sure. Um, let's go back to that turning point of when your husband had that massive heart attack, why he was hiking in the woods. My first question was, were you with him or was he alone? No, he was alone. I was, I was at home and, um, just preparing dinner, I was making this blueberry chicken recipe, which I will never, ever make again. And <laughs> that does not sound good. <laughs> yeah. And he, and I got this phone call from the hospital and they said, um, we found your husband, your husband has been life flighted in. He died a bunch of times. They were very cavalier about that. He died a bunch of times and, um, we we've got him down here and, and, you know, you can come see him if you like. And so I was just sort of in this weird, um, you know, we all do weird things when we're, when we have, when we're in shock and I, I was giggly, I was, I was giggling and I got in the car and I went down there and <clears throat> the, uh, the doctor was not, did not have a great bedside manner and said, well, we don't know how he's going to do, but there he is. And he was sitting upright and his eyes were open wide and he just started vomiting blood. It was just like something out of a, a, you know, a horror movie. It was just so terrible, but and now I, now I don't know where we were going with this. I lost my, my, my track there, but yeah, that's, that was my, that was my experience. <clears throat> it was pretty horrific. It sounds horrible. Um, and the reason that I had asked that question, Joanne, was because, you know, when somebody has a massive heart attack, <clears throat> the fact that he was even found if he was alone is kind of amazing because I mean, well, here's the, here's the wonderful thing. So he's up there hiking and sits down cause he doesn't feel well. And the very first person to encounter him is a 911 operator. Wow. So she recognized the signs of, of a heart attack. She went to where she could get service and called for help. And, and the very next person, at, so she was, she, you know, left him so she could get service. The very next person to come upon him was a nurse. Oh my goodness. So he was very fortunate. That gives me goosebumps talking about somebody looking out for him that day. Yes, absolutely. So the reason I wanted to circle back to this and, um, you know, bring this up kind of last is because this is what you said was like your turning point. And that's kind of what I want to focus on for this last part of, um, our conversation. So, you know, like the first thing that's popping into my head is, oh my gosh, I don't have any idea how she is sitting in the hospital bed writing, you know, as, as he's going through all this, but then part of me is like, well, I think people need to do something like when they're in a hospital with a loved one, because, you know, just sitting there is probably not the best. (laughs) Um, So I, I, I hope I didn't present that in, in the wrong way, but that's when I, when I came to terms with it, but I didn't actually start writing until he was home in his recovery. Okay. That was my misinterpretation then. Sorry. Um, thank you for clearing that up. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm trying to figure out in my head. So is it just the fact that, you know, this has happened to your husband and you're now presented with the fact that, okay, I really am seeing like how short life can be is, is that kind of like what was going through your head to make you realize if not now, when? Yes, that was absolutely, you know, sometimes life will, will send you messages and you just ignore them. And it takes something extreme for you to stop and say, Oh, 
wow, this is, this is what I, what I'm missing. And I think, I think I probably had messages along the way that I just sort of blew off because of that, that self-doubt was so strong in me that, that it really took a, a powerful force on the other side to say, wait a minute, look at, look at what's in front of you in that bed and understand that you don't have a, you don't get a say in how long your life is. You can do all the right things, but still you don't have a say in how long your life is. So it's now or never baby. And I actually, I'm looking at a sticky note that I have here on my, um, taped to my computer monitor. And it says, if not now, when, Mm -hmm. and I think we do, I, at least for me, as I'm getting older, I'm going to be 47 in February. Like I'm just a lot more aware now. And especially with everything going on in the world, I am a lot more aware now than I was when I was younger, because when I was younger, I was like, I'm invincible and I'm, you know, never going to die. And now it's just like, yeah, I mean, I've suffered a mild heart attack at a very young age. So I'm definitely more aware now that time is limited. And if I don't do something now, when, um, so Joanne, now that, you know, like you are, um, you found medication to help you out of, you know, the depressive dark space and stuff, what, do you still have kind of like those self doubts? And I like to call it trickster talk. (laughs) Do you still have, you know, that trickster bubbling up in you sometimes trying to derail you from writing and doing other things? Absolutely. Because this is just something that is, is unfortunately part of who I am and you can fight it, but there, there are still going to be days where it comes through. And I call, I call it Fred. Fred is my, is my uh, nemesis. My <laughs> I head. Sometimes, sometimes I can just say, Fred, get lost. And other days I, I have to say, Fred, uh, you know, I I'm saying those things and Fred isn't listening to me. And there's just, I just have to, I just have to write it out and tell myself, okay, you know, you have all these tools and if the tools don't work, then you just sit back, put your seatbelt on and know that this is brief. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned writing because obviously you're a writer, Yes, (laughs) but um, journaling has been like a huge part of my journey. And I noticed that, like you mentioned, Joanne, you know, if you can't get Fred off your shoulders, sometimes you have to like sit and write it out. And that's pretty much the same process of what I do. Um, when I, I just call it trickster, I have not named mine, but I think I'm going to have to copy that and name mine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. A good name. Um, cause yeah, a name would sound so much better when I'm just saying trickster, but you know, like when I'm having those trickster thoughts, it's the same thing. Some days I, I can just be like, meh, flick it with my finger and it goes away. And other days it's just so deep and so ingrained in who I am because I also suffered from having all kinds of thoughts like that from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just that time that that trickster just does not go away and it eats at me and eats at me and eats at me. So when I just pull my journal out and I kind of call it like word vomit, I literally just yes. anything that's in my head, it is vomited all <laughs> over the page. <laughs> That is so interesting that you use that term as well, because that's also a writer term. And that's what we say for your first draft is word vomit, just let it all out. And I do think that that writing books is is also uh, a way of journaling. Um, I look at my first book, The Story of Keela, and I I see a lot of things in my life in that book. 
And even though when I was writing them, I had no idea they were in there. Now I look back and think, oh, okay. Yeah. Th- these are, these are my struggles. Kila's struggles are my struggles and her demons, not necessarily now her demons are not my demons, but uh, they are symbolic of some of the things that have happened in my life. So it's interesting to, to look, to look at that um, from a writer perspective and then look at, read some of the books, your favorite books again, and think, okay, what was going on in this person's life? Because I guarantee you there's something, some event in their life, or maybe all of it is based on, on things that have happened around them. That's interesting that you bring that up because that's actually going to make me look at, I'm an avid reader. I love reading, but I've never actually thought of it from that perspective. Like Mm -hmm. I just think, oh, you know, this is a great writer and they are just imaginative and have, you know, great writing skills. But now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm just really going to look at books differently now. Well, and, and I'm not taking away anything from the writer because they still are, you know, have great uh, imagination and great skill. It's just, it's just a kind of a recipe. And part of that recipe is them. Part of that recipe is this is my experience. And this is what I'm putting into this. Now with my experience, how can I embellish this to make a great story? And that makes so much sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Joanne, as we kind of wrap up, um, one of the things that I like to ask my guest at the end of my interviews is what is like one nugget or a couple pieces of nuggets that you want to leave our listener with today? Um, so I really want to emphasize that if you're struggling, um, try, try whatever method you can to get help because I now that if there are hotlines, there's uh, there's online help. If you don't want to go into an office. And that's what I, that's why I do. My counselor is online. I've never met her in person, in person. Um, try a counselor, try them at least two times because the first time could have been an off day. Don't be afraid to try some medication. I resisted it for so long because I thought I am stronger than that. Well, it doesn't, strength isn't, isn't the, the key here. It's you have to, um, just do whatever it takes to live your life to the fullest. And that's, that's what it took for me. Think about if this is my last week on earth, do I want to be miserable fighting Fred? No, I want, I want peace. So I guess I'm, I'm giving a lot of pieces of advice here, but uh, if you're struggling, don't be afraid to get help. Also keep in mind in those darkest periods that um, you just never know what's around the corner. Um, and then just leave people better than you found them. I love, I love all those pieces of advice. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the reaching out for help, because I do think that even though we've come a really long way with mental health and, you know, people needing to be on medication and things like that, I still think there is such a negative, like stigma, I guess is the word that's coming to my head, um, that I think a lot of people feel shameful to admit that they need help just because of the way that, you know, mental health and stuff can be perceived sometimes. So thank you for, you know, bringing that to our listeners attention, because I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't be. And if you are concerned that there, there's a certain person who's going to look down on you for getting help, then don't tell them it's not their business. Yep. Exactly. Just take care of you. Yeah. 
All right, Joanne, this was so good. Thank you again so much for joining me today. And listeners, you can find her on the web at joannekeeter.com. And as usual, I will have links to her um, in today's show notes. So thanks, Joanne. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. I really appreciated it. Don't forget to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash 52 to get the show notes from today's episode. And be sure to check out Joanne on the website at joannekeeter.com. That's J-O-A-N-N-K-E der.com. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.